Welcome to Growing of Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we have finally gotten to our recap of the first half of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, so now we're, uh, we're finally getting to the end of the prequel trilogy. Oh my god, amazing. It's only been, what, two years in the making? Yeah, like 75 or something episodes, <laughs> my gosh. So here's your plot refresher. The Siege of Mandalore arc of the Clone Wars shows us this split in the timeline, mm -hmm. and then we split in focus, too. So the Clone Wars TV show follows Ahsoka on Mandalore, and then Revenge of the Sith follows General Grievous attacking Coruscant. Right. We're still waiting to see how Ahsoka's journey plays out. So for now, we're following the Coruscant plotline where Grievous has captured Chancellor Palpatine, Anakin and Obi-Wan leave Ahsoka and go to Coruscant to fix things. So the movie opens in an absolutely bonkers action scene. Amazing high-speed space race to Grievous's cruiser. When I first saw this, it blew me completely out of the water because every Star Wars movie starts off with like, oh, cool, here's like a slow scene of like some starfighters flying. Beautiful landing on Coruscant. And that's how this one starts too. You've got these two beautiful ETA Actus II fighters zooming along and then they dive over the Star Destroyer and you realize you're in an absolutely epic space battle. It is incredible. Obi-Wan and Anakin are racing to get to General Grievous's cruiser because that's where Palpatine is. He's been captured. Both of their ships get covered in buzz droids, which we remember from the Clone Wars. From the droid D-Squad arc. R2 is like jousting with one on the wing. Amazing. I do want to discuss the entire infiltration of Grievous's cruiser mm -hmm. at a later time because it is delightful. Yes. Suffice to say, Obi-Wan and Anakin crash land onto Grievous's ship. And importantly, we have two major character deaths by now. Oddball and R4 rip. Devastating. R4 less so. Oh, they... <laughs> They find Palpatine, they tangle with Dooku, mm -hmm. Obi-Wan gets knocked out, and as Anakin is dueling Dooku, dual-cooing, <laughs> Palpatine commands Anakin to kill Dooku, and he does. Yeah, Anakin gets the better hand of him, and then takes both his hands, and then is sitting there with his lightsabers on either side of Dooku's head. Palpatine says, good, good, kill him. And Dooku looks over at Palpatine. Utter betrayal. Yep. And Anakin knows that he shouldn't kill him, but then decapitates. And that is one of the touchstones in the Siege of Mandalore arc that Dooku has just died. Then Obi-Wan and Anakin are captured. They're taken before Grievous. They fight. And then when things get spicy, Grievous GTFOs, as one does. Well, he uses a wonderful Grievous maneuver called, I don't have to breathe, but you do, suckers. <laughs> and so he, he goes outside. So Anakin grabs everybody. They crash land Grievous's cruiser onto Coruscant. Mm -hmm. And when Anakin meets up with Padme, his secret wife, for the first time in IDK, months? It's got to be months because uh, she's real preggers. She's super prego. She's Prego my ego. And she's like, I'm Preggers. And he's like, that's great. We actually knew this because she is convex in the Clone Wars and Anakin does not notice. Mm -hmm. So they have a semi-happy scene celebrating their unborn child. Mm -hmm. But that night, Anakin is tormented with premonitions like the visions he had of Shmi dying. But these ones 
are of Padme dying in childbirth. He's also selected by Palpatine to sit on the Jedi Council. Palps wants him to spy on the Jedi. The Jedi want him to spy on Palps. This is outrageous. It's unfair. He's Mm -hmm. not given the rank of master before being allowed to sit on the council. And Padme asks him if he's ever questioned whether the Republic is actually on the right side of the war or if the separatists have been right all along. And importantly, throughout all of this, Anakin is getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. He's getting pulled. Palpatine is always one step ahead of the Jedi. So when the Jedi Council says, hey, we need to send you, Anakin, on the lowdown to spy on Palpatine. Palpatine had previously, like five minutes before, been like, hey, I think the Jedi are going to betray me. Surely you can see that they have... Um, they want to take me down, and I'm conflated with the Republic and with democracy. So the Jedi are the bad guys. They're going to ask you to do some shady stuff. Palpatine's one step ahead the whole time. And then when Anakin is talking with Padme, she's continually like pressing the same buttons that he'd gotten pressed three times before that day. Yeah. This whole movie is like a game of tug of war, and Anakin's the rope. He is. It's devastating. So all of this stress, it is too much for our little soft boy, as more and more teaspoons of turmoil keep getting added to his teacup. I like that phrase. Thank you. I came up with that myself. We come to the famous opera scene. Anakin joins Palpatine for, I think, Sam, you read a critique of the opera scene that was like it was a cross between a child's ultrasound and a drag show? And a Cirque du Soleil. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. So they sit Together at the opera, they have a long discussion where Palpatine plants the final seeds for Anakin's turn to the dark side. Because Palpatine says, there is knowledge that the Jedi are holding from you on keeping your wife from dying in childbirth. In fact, there's this guy, Darth Plagueis the Wise. Would you like to do the line? Have you heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? So Palpatine tells Anakin that he could learn how to keep others from dying, but not from the Jedi. Yeah. He also tells Anakin that they've located General Grievous. Right, which, of course, obviously he knows where Grievous is because Palpatine in a previous scene tells Grievous where to go. Exactly. He tells Anakin that if the council doesn't pick Anakin to lead the assault, then they're out of their minds. Since they promptly pick Obi-Wan to lead the assault, it's just another straw on his little camelback. Which makes sense because they finally got Grievous on the run and they're like, Obi-Wan, this one's yours. You've beaten him so many times. This is your task. If not in name, then in spirit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Obi-Wan lands on Utapau where the locals are like, he's here. We're being held hostage. And Obi-Wan is like, good, good, very good. He pulls a fast one. He disappears into a crowd. Mm -hmm. And they're like, is he going for reinforcements? Uh, He didn't say. Turns out he wasn't. He watches as Grievous addresses the entire Separatist Council. He sends them all, Grievous sends them all to Mustafar. Importantly, he hopped onto a giant Komodo dragon. It's called a Varactyl. To track Grievous up to that floor. So he hops off his Komodo dragon. And says, hello there. The famous line. It's the line. And Grievous is ready to fight. First, he says, kill them. Sends in a bunch of Magna droids. Kenobi drops a crate on the Magna droids. And then... 
They're on a crazy fight. And in this one, Kenobi pretty rapidly chops off two of Grievous's hands. Then Grievous jumps aboard a legged wheelie velocipede thing and runs down. Obi-Wan chases in the Veractal, a thrilling scene. It is amazing and horrifying all at once. I particularly love when Grievous fires up the old forearm saber windmill. Yes. And Kenobi just smiles and chops off his hands one by one. He's like, this is, I see you have a pattern to your attack. So Obi-Wan's in hot pursuit on his lizard. Mm -hmm. Back on Coruscant, Palpatine finally reveals to Anakin he is the Dark Lord of the Sith, and he alone can teach Anakin how to save Padme. Mm -hmm. Anakin is like, I'm not saying no. Well, Anakin says, Anakin pulls out his lightsaber and says, I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to bring you before the council to arrest you because you're the Dark Lord of the Sith. I can't believe I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Anakin has been doing all the right things. He's been doing all the right things in his words, but he tells Padme, I'm not the Jedi I should be. I have this conflict in my heart. Mm -hmm. In his heart, he wants to do the opposite of what he is saying and doing. Yeah, but he's still, I mean, you know, your your thoughts will follow your actions. Obi-Wan and Grievous end up fighting back on Utapau on a landing pad because Grievous is trying to run away, mm -hmm. as he does. Obi-Wan dropped his lightsaber along the way, so they end up fighting Blaster versus Magna Guard staff, and then yep. they're just doing fisticuffs. And poor Obi-Wan didn't learn his lesson from fighting Savage and Maul. He kicks Grievous right in the leg. He's like, yep, that's a metal leg. <laughs> Kicking that does nothing. He finally cracks open Grievous's rib cage to expose the human heart that is beating inside, mm -hmm. grabs a Blaster, shoots him like thrice he explodes mm -hmm. like literally there's flames coming out of his eye sockets violently dies and for what just to gross me out <laughs> well you know it takes a lot to prove someone's dead in the star wars universe general grievous is real dead he's so dead and that is the first half of revenge of the sith Ooh, holy shimoli what a movie. What a movie. So when this came out, everyone, all the critics were like, okay, this is definitely the best work that George Lucas has directed. Wow. It is definitely a top two Star Wars film. If like definitely a top three, probably a top two Star Wars film after Empire Strikes Back. Wow. And this made watching Phantom and Attack worth it. Wow. Okay, so the critical reception was still salty about Phantom and Attack, yeah. but so deeply glowing of Revenge of the Sith that they were kind of like, eh, yeah. we sat through it for the context, and now it's the payoff. Well, part of it is that the technology, the all the special effects are super good in this one. Like Because we've watched in the last few weeks Phantom and then Attack mm -hmm. and now this, you see a droidica, a destroyer. Mm -hmm. And... In Phantom, you're like, okay, that's a cool CGI monster. And you see them in Attack, and you're like, well, it's a well-done CGI monster. And in Revenge, like, that is a Droidica. It is going, <laughs> it's going to whoop my butt. Yeah. Uh, R2 is a rock star in this one, as usual. And, like, all the nice notes of Star Wars are hit. And it is just action drama, action drama. It hits all the pacing. Like, this pacing of the first half, despite there being, like, 
kind of two major battles going mm-hmm. on, still manages to conceal the main thrust of what's Ooh. going on, which is absolutely bonkers, which is Anakin being absolutely torn apart by duty, responsibility, mm. and temptation. Yeah, I think we ended at such an interesting point. Our halfway point in the movie was the point of no return. Anakin has finally decided that he well, he decides even 10 minutes before our stopping point when mm-hmm. he's talking to Padme, he's like, I know how to save you, right? Yeah. Well, so this whole time, this is the first time that I've watched Revenge of the Sith with, I mean, obviously having made a podcast about the Clone Wars leading up to this point, trying to figure out who knows what. Ooh. And so think of this from the point of view of someone who has just watched the movies, which is how it was for the vast majority of people yeah. because the Clone Wars hadn't come out yet. Yeah. And what Clone Wars had come out was the Tartakowski, which has a lot of cool appeal, but it's basically, it doesn't move the plot along much. And really the character dynamics are just kind of note for note from Attack of the Clone. So there's that chilliness between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's a kind of a flat emotional experience. Uh, yeah, there is an arc in the Tartakovsky where Anakin really levels up to be a Jedi Knight. Mm. But um, other than that, yeah, it's kind of a flat experience because it's action, mm-hmm. you know? So in this, we... All of a sudden, between Attack of the Clones and now, say, okay, three years have passed of war, and here's what's up. The acting is so improved, and we learn so much about who is who. Like, we had known that Palpatine later on becomes the Emperor, but knowing that he is, in fact, like, the Dark Lord of the Sith, his powers, what he is available, and then, like, learning that he knows so much of the lore of the Sith is really, really dark. And knowing that, like, the nice touchstones of Padme saying, hold me like we did when we were in the lake country. That's the last time moviegoers saw them. And it was this wonderful, peaceful moment that was three years past. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to talk about some of that when we talk about the duels, actually. Mm -hmm. But I do remember reading a 2005 review because I love – You know, I wasn't watching Star Wars when it came out. So I love going back to old reviews and seeing what the critical reception was. And there was a critic who wrote, the script of Revenge of the Sith is crafted so well and Mm. with such deft characterization that you don't need anything else. You don't need Phantom. You don't need Attack of the Clones. George Lucas tried to stretch out this story, but all we needed was the rise of Vader in its purest form. And that's Revenge of the Sith. It really is. Looking back on it, I do feel like... There's there's some throwaway lines right at the beginning, or I guess right after they land and uh, land on Coruscant? on Coruscant, and Anakin's like you owe me one. That's ten, and Obi Wan says nine. That business on Kira Nemodia doesn't <laughs> yeah. count, and like that type of throwaway to the past. I I don't know the name for that type of thing, but it's a wonderful literary device to extend a story deeper. Yeah. I almost would have loved if it had been like, well, that's 100. And Obi-Wan's like, eh, it's 99. You know, I think they could have even leaned into that device a little bit more. Because now that we have the Clone Wars, we know this actually is probably like 110 times. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's nine unmitigated because, you know, when Obi-Wan saves Anakin, that decreases the total. But yeah. I loved that breathless roller coaster of the first 20 minutes of this movie, like up until the crash landing on Coruscant. 
Because I went back to rewatch the first half of the Siege of Mandalore arc from the Clone Wars TV show because I wanted to experience what the animators of the Clone Wars TV show wanted us to see Mm -hmm. in addition to watching Revenge of the Sith the way that audiences would have experienced it in 2005. I wanted kind of both. So I absolutely cried tears of delight seeing how beautifully the Anakin and Obi-Wan of the Clone Wars transitioned to the Anakin and Obi-Wan of Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Like, when they're doing their offensive on Urbana, it's the same energy that they're bringing to hijacking Grievous's cruiser. I such enjoyed Hayden Christensen's delivery of some of Anakin's lines. So, so good. So as they're flying along and Obi-Wan gets covered in buzz droids and Obi-Wan's like, you have to do the mission. And Anakin's like blasting him off. He's like, you're shooting me to pieces. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Bad idea. And then Scooch he just over. <laughs> carves his wing into Obi-Wan's wing and takes it off. On the next bit, when they, um, the, Obi-Wan's like, and I can see that the shield is still up. And Anakin's like, oh, sorry. He shoots the shield down. They fly through this rapidly closing airlock gate. And what's funny is this, this speaks so much to Anakin versus Obi-Wan in this beautiful way. Obi-Wan's ship comes skidding to a halt. <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan is already out of it. Already somersaulting. And chopping droids to bits. Anakin sideswipes about 30 droids as he's parking, <laughs> carefully undoes his seatbelt and pops out and, ah! and helps helps R2 out. Like, <laughs> oh my God. It's so del- – I was laughing like a child. I loved the first 20 minutes so much. The banter's so good. One of the really funny things that I picked up on in this that I, I wonder if it's like a, a carry-on from the R2 lost arc mm. because – from season one? I, from season one, because looking way back, I don't feel like we've ever had good Obi-Wan R2 time. I think you're kind of right. And like when R2 is running around doing all his, his shenanigans down in the hangar bay while Anakin and Obi-Wan are like trying to get to the Chancellor, Obi-Wan like has no faith in R2 to be know, like and, the third man of the team. And every time the camera cuts back to R2, he has decimated another 50 droids. No, he's in a pile of droid parts that Anakin and Obi-Wan made. No, he disassembled them. He Th- killed like two B2s. I disagree. I think the entire infiltration scene on Grievous's cruiser is really just showing us R2 like disassembling the entire Separatist army he's on that ship. He's just sitting above like a, an entryway and as a column of B1s march in, he, he pizza fired up his them. pizza cutter. <laughs> he shock prodded them into submission. That's what's happening. Yeah, okay. He's got a big kill count. I don't know if he's got pizza cutter he kills. He mace windowed 10,000 battle droids in that scene, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Yeah, all right, all this right. This is what happened. This is my truth. Okay. This is how I'm choosing to live my life. I mean, more than anyone else, <laughs> R2 actually survives like nine movies. And so he gets to get a handful of kills in the future. You don't have to... Maybe he's still on, uh, on the ramping up phase. So say, so say you. Yeah. Not so say I. <laughs> this was your Yoda wisdom for the day. <laughs> that was actually proper So that's part of the big picture that is all being brought together and the effort 
that the Clone Wars crew put together in making oh, sure yeah. that it all lines up with these events. Because this is the end of the Clone Wars, you know? Yeah. One thing that I loved is just that the opening shot of Revenge of the Sith, because it's CGI, mm-hmm. it almost feels just like an extra nice Clone Wars illustration. Mm, yeah. So closing my screen on the Siege of Mandalore arc and opening it again onto the first shot of Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. it felt seamless. Wow. And what I loved, this was my big note for this mm-hmm. half of the movie. This movie feels like it's speaking a language that I understand like a shorthand that I now have access to Mm -hmm. watching the clone wars and then watching revenge of the Sith makes you realize how much of a product the TV show is of this movie. Yeah. And all of a sudden now I'm the insider. Mm -hmm. I recognize all of the tech. I was like, Magna guards, buzz droids, Dredicas, Uh like all of it. Perfect. And the banter between Obi-Wan and Anakin is spot on for how it's been the whole TV show. And I just, like, Baron Papanoida and his family were all over the place. Uh, Baron Papanoida was played by George Lucas. Indeed he was. And Katie Lucas was his daughter. Mm -hmm. And I paused to admire them in the opera scene. (laughs) It was so great. And I just, I was so reluctant to watch the Clone Wars TV show Mm -hmm. purely for entertainment. It's only when we started this project and I got to watch it in a really structured analytical way that I grew to love it. And now the payoff is almost overwhelming. That's because some of us get into Star Wars because we're nerds. (laughs) And some of us are nerds and then get into Star Wars. (laughs) And you are the latter. Some of us wanted to be an English major and never got a chance to. And but but are now professional writers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) It was just so beautiful to have this special shorthand more cues to watch this movie, more anchor points. Mm-hmm. It made it feel very personal and very special. Yeah, this is by far the most enjoyable watch through of Revenge of the Sith. Ironically, the whole, for me, ironically, the whole meme culture, the prequel memes and that rehabilitation of the prequels, as well as the Clone Wars, takes some of the lines from Attack of the Clones and Phantom and Revenge of the Sith and turns them into like, trite copy pasta i hate sand yeah or have you heard the tragedy of darth plagueis the wise but in context they are incredibly well delivered insidious lines that tell the important touchstones of the story maybe not i hate sand but absolutely did you hear the tragedy of darth plagueis the wise i remember and this was a beautiful continuation for me from the very first time i saw revenge of the sith Mm -hmm. i do think i fell asleep yeah And then this time, when I was giggling helplessly and loving every moment of it, I remember that I had the same reaction to the opera scene that I did the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I love how luxurious the pacing of that conversation was Mm -hmm. and how much time they gave to it because you are watching Palpatine's manipulation unfold in real time. Yeah. He's really hitting all the notes he needs to be. What This is a masterclass in Palpatine. It is masterful. That is the word I kept coming back to. It's masterful. I don't know if Palpatine has force premonitions or if he's just a really good character study, but he predicts Anakin's every thought and plays him like a fiddle. He does. And like kind of across the whole Clone Wars, that's been the plan. 
no matter how the war shakes out, enough Jedi are going to die that the Jedi can't fight the Sith. Like, every single moment was set up for Palpatine to win. Mm. And I think the most poignant moment of that is actually in the next scene, right after R2 kills those B2 droids and we get into the fight with Dooku, which is overall too quick, honestly. Oh my gosh. Do you want to talk about the duels? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, do, do you want to... Go into the big picture a little bit more. Or do you want to do it by duels? I kind of do. I kind of want to talk about the big picture a little bit okay. more. So big picture, what we're seeing is the end of the Clone Wars, and we're seeing how it was all put in play by Palpatine. And this was Palpatine's war to lose. I mean, yeah. And he even set it up so that the people who are trying to overthrow him would never know what he knows. And that that the rest of that story, do you know the tragedy of Bar- Darth Plagueis the Wise? I thought you were going to say Bart Plagueis, and I was like, that's a great name. Darth Darth Bart Plagueis. Darth Bart Plagueis. (laughs) So Darth Plagueis was Palpatine's master. Oh, I did not know that. And so that was what, like, Palpatine is sitting there reveling and telling this incredibly horrific story of how he was taught everything by his master. And then he killed his master in his sleep. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. And so he knows everything that his master knew. And that's why he says ironic. And he's like, he's reveling and telling of this story. Oh, that is so insidious and so delightful. Yeah. But it also shows the depths of depravity that Palpatine lives in and is able to like cover up somehow. Wow. I can't believe his master was called the wise. That's so interesting. Well, I mean, who would call him that? Uh, only Palpatine would. Palpatine is making up this story in order to tell Anakin what he's oh. capable of. I, I mean, it's a, it's honestly what Palpatine was taught by Plagueis is a topic for a different movie. Okay, I was going to say, how would a first time viewer know that Darth Plagueis was Sidious's master? Um, I mean, I guess it's because they're the only ones who were taught by it. But yeah, it's not actually part of the cannot. Um, any of the movies or anything is from a book. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So as the big picture rolls around, this is the end of the Clone Wars. And already, Dooku's down. That's the leader of the Clone Wars. The Council is saying, hey, we need to do something about Palpatine because now that Grievous is dead, that's the end of the Clone Wars. Like now it's just a trade dispute with Newt Gunray and without their armies there, then we're good to go. Yeah, a bunch of Nemodians. We can just yeah, send a- just punch them. Yeah. Just, just punch them. Just, just steal their hats. Send them out the airlock. Just steal their hats and they're helpless without their big comically oversized hats. Oh my God, amazing. So that is what this is all leading up to is the Jedi Council is saying, this is the end of the war. We need to get back to regular order. And Palpatine's like, yes, this is the end of the war. I love this. This is perfect. Wow. It is fascinating to watch it from both sides. Okay, please, can we talk about the duels? Yes, they're just I have good ones. so many notes on the duels. The first I, duel. I Dooku. woke up last night mm-hmm. thinking about the duels. That explains why you beat me with that stick. <laughs> He's joking. Where did you even get that stick? <laughs> what I deeply forgot, because I watched Revenge of the Sith and took nothing from it. Mm-hmm. All I remembered was Mustafar. Obi-Wan and Anakin both vanquish their great foes this movie. Mm-hmm. And one of that victories feels earned and one of them i think does not so okay we start off in the battle with obi-wan and anakin versus dooku it it's interesting because christopher lee 
looks excited and he says, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. And as if like he hasn't, I'm, he hasn't actually fought the two of them in a very long time. Yeah. So the Anakin and Dooku duel very much feels like it was there for dramatic effect because mm-hmm. for first time viewers, you know, in real time, 2003 and 2005, the last 10 minutes of Attack of the Clones, Anakin and Obi-Wan get their butts whooped by Dooku. Yep. And then first 10 minutes of Revenge of the Sith, oh, how the turntables, mm-hmm. you know, it, Obi-Wan still gets knocked out, which is unfortunate for him. Yeah. Pretty embarrassing. Well, he gets a porch dropped on him. I like, mean. He gets, he gets flung against a wall and then Dooku yeets a, like, entire porch on top of him. And you can, it, it looks really gross. In fact... Uh, Palpatine is sitting there and he's like, Ooh, <laughs> oh, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is great. But I think this duel is supposed to imply how much growth Anakin has undergone off screen in the past three years. But because we didn't see it happen, mm-hmm. it feels really cheap. It didn't feel earned. We didn't see any greater skill on Anakin's part. Honestly, his choreography feels kind of clumsy. Well, he does. I mean, yeah, it, that is a tell don't show moment because Anakin says, My powers have doubled since we last met. And I'm like, Okay. And, and Dooku says, Good, twice the pride, double the fall. But I mean, real sword fights are quick. And yeah. so the fact that they're fighting, they're fighting. And then Anakin is like, Hey, check out this sweet move I learned where I parry all the way down. I disarm you and also dishand you. And now I have your lightsaber in my <laughs> other hand. And I, I, you're, you're toast. You're, you're dead. Like I've fought so many battle droids and you've been sitting there running a war. I am a freaking ace now. Did you notice that symbolism when Anakin grabs Dooku's lightsaber, he has his own blue lightsaber. He holds them in the cross at Dooku's neck. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's his two sides. I think this whole movie is about Anakin's duality. He's got the light side of the Jedi. He's like, I need to take him prisoner. I need to take him back to the Jedi Mm -hmm. Council. The red blade of the Sith and Palpatine, you know, manipulating him are like, you need to lean into your feelings, use your hatred, kill this person. Yeah. He's literally at a crossroads. He is. And he chooses to be manipulated by Palpatine. Yeah. So... I was so dissatisfied with the Anakin-Dooku duel that I did a lot of reading into it to Mm -hmm. see if I could find something that made it feel a little richer. I was just – I was so disappointed that the first 16 minutes of this movie and Dooku's down, right? Yeah. So the best explanation I found is actually outside of the text, as Mm -hmm. it were. It's from the Revenge of the Sith Visual Dictionary. Okay. The visual dictionary describes the whole Obi-Wan and Anakin Dooku fight as a ruse. It says that Obi-Wan and Anakin attacked Dooku together on Grievous's cruiser, luring him into a false sense of confidence by using standard lightsaber tactics. Yep. And then they switched to more advanced forms and totally unbalanced him. I think that is probably what happened also uh, throughout you see Christopher Lee Dooku's face and he's he is surprised with a few of the moves pretty rapidly yeah and they came in using their initial standard forms that they had used in attack of the clones whereas we definitely see some extreme soryasu from 
Obi-Wan, particularly later when he's fighting Grievous. Totally, yeah. So they've definitely leveled up. There's a fan theory that I read online that I loved, Mm -hmm. which says, it seems really clear that Anakin and Obi-Wan spent a lot of time discussing what their strategy should be because they knew they'd have to face Dooku again. Yeah. And they probably sat down with Dooku's former master who taught him how to fight, Yoda. Probably. Like, my little... Battle babies fired up some popcorn and sat down and Gosh, talked yeah. about how to destroy Dooku. Probably. There is a great line as that fight finishes because Palpatine is saying, Anakin, leave Obi-Wan. We have to go. Oh, yeah. And that's where Anakin hits his limit. He's like, his fate will be the same as ours. Which is very funny because they all die on Death Stars. But- oh, no. <laughs> Sam. Um, spoilers. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> movies movies are a little different, so, yeah. It's pretty telling that in my memories of Revenge of the Sith, I did not remember Anakin fighting Dooku. Probably because so, it's over in the first 16 minutes. Yeah, so then we fast forward, like, about 50 minutes and we get to the next major duel, right? Oh, my God. The Grievous Obi-Wan duel is amazing. I love it so much. I love that Obi-Wan, he's he's in the rafters. He's literally waiting in the eaves after riding his Varactyl, which is a 20-foot-long <laughs> freaking gecko up this crazy city that makes that <laughs> noise. And This is such a volt fast from Attack of the Clones when Obi-Wan is just like struggling with his reek. It yeah. Great. It was <laughs> that, so great. It's funny. Um and he's waiting there and he watches all these things go. And then he like peeks and peeks and then jumps down. You realize he's surrounded by like four Magna droids, an even half dozen destroyers. Uh, God knows how many B1s and B2s. He's like, I can take them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wonder if it's related to uh, that battle of Urbana when Anakin's like, Come on, Master. There's only like a thousand droids over there. Oh my there. God. And maybe that's the push that Obi-Wan needed. He's like, you know, I've spent this whole time like protecting clones. And now I realize uh, when it's just me, I can absolutely take out a hundred droids. Obi-Wan took notes. Go after the tactical droid. Go after the general. Yeah. And like, don't get into a tussle with these stupid magna droids because they take forever to kill. What I love about the Grievous duel is that... It feels real and it feels like a great fight against a horrifying opponent. Yeah. And then Obi-Wan and Grievous trade off having the advantage. They do. And Obi-Wan goes into like an extreme version of his story as he stands. He's a little bedraggled. And then when... Throws up some peace signs. Yeah. When when Grievous is rolling towards him as a murder blade... (laughs) Obi-Wan like dodges a little. He's like, and then he's he's watching the moves, and then he's like, all right, I got this. And he goes and snick snack. One, it's incredible. one lightsaber down. Just snick, chop, snack, chop. another one down. Because he realizes that like if you take off the lightsabers, he's just a droid. Yeah. He's like, he's basically a B1 droid at that point, and those are easy to kill. It's the fact that there are scene changes, they mm-hmm. change weapons. Obi-Wan ultimately wins by using like unconventional tactics. He uses a blaster. I have the uh it's the Racco Hardeen skill shots because he is hitting a two-inch target at about 10 yards, just boom. Boom. Right boom. to the gut sack. Right, right, right to, to the, the lungs. Just, right just to the heart. Heart shot, heart shot, heart shot. And uh, he's sitting there. He's hanging by one arm off the edge of this ledge, you know? So it's a it's a tough shot. But what a fight. What a fight. 
the thing that I love the most, I think, about this duel is that it ends up being a droid versus a human. Mm -hmm. So it feels like this perfect analog of the Clone Wars. Yeah. It's kind of the climax of everything for me. It's just, it's the Clone Wars distilled down to the most granular aspects. One droid one human, mm -hmm. right? And then I got so excited about it that I did some digging into the, you know, behind the scenes footage. I watched the art department creating General Grievous because uh -huh. George Lucas wrote the script and he's just like, mm, I want a big supervillain. I want him to be kind of droidy. Go nuts. Yeah. So the whole art department spends a week just like pinning their concept art to the wall. And George Lucas is like, yes, no, yes, no. Mm -hmm. They're trying to come up with the most horrifying villain they possibly can. And at the last second, one of the artists finally comes up with the General Grievous design. Mm. And George Lucas is like, yes, that one. But what he says to them about what he loves about that design, he says, Grievous, he's like an animal in a human shell, like what Anakin is about to become. Yeah, absolutely. Because... There's so little Grievous left inside of the Grievous shell. And we've learned as we've studied Grievous that he used to be a famous warrior and has now had uh, not replacements upgrades as he tells his robo doctor. He's got a couple dies. capillaries, yeah. a little bit of lung, a little bit of heart. And there is a scene where we go really close into his eyes and we see his eyes are like animal eyes, mm -hmm. but they're like... They're, they're tiger set. eyes. Yeah, they are, but they're unhealthy, set in this metallic skull. Yeah, his cough is a lot worse in Revenge of the Sith. So, uh, in the Tartakovsky, Grievous is talking normally the whole time until when he steals Palpatine from Coruscant, whereupon Mace Windu force crushes his <gasps> chest. Whoa! And he's coughing after that. Oh my God, that's amazing. It's a very cool scene that makes uh, the Tartakovsky Grievous really scary. That's deeply cool. He he is terrifying. Yeah. I just love that it's kind of like Obi-Wan is fighting Anakin before fighting Anakin. You know, George yeah. Lucas is like, Grievous is Anakin, mm. just in a different shell. And and importantly, what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? There's one that, more like, battle here. What? I love that. Mm -hmm. I had no memory of that. That assault on Kashyyyk is so cool. It's fun because there's these copters. There's apparently a tiny scene of an Alina Jedi Master riding one of those dragonflies oh from my the God. Alina world, which we were just talking about because I was like sitting there washing dishes or something. I'm like... Remember the Alina episode? I love that episode. With <laughs> We're the just like, oh my God, the, yeah. bring us back to the R2-3PO messing yeah. around arc on Alina. Oh my gosh. Everything everything Alina is great. Everything but... Wookiee is great. The cool catamarans that they have, like mm -hmm. seeing Wookiees as amphibious fighters, leaping out of the water, throwing like stun blaster grenades onto the Separatist ships mm -hmm. and then leaping back into the water was so great. Yeah, it it's a very cool scene, and Yoda is sitting there like, I have good relations with the Wookiees. I'll go there. And leading this battle, talking with the Wookiees, it's just so cool. It's honestly like a little blinker you miss it because it's not part of the main two – you know, if Attack of the Clones had a braided plot, this is kind of a pigtail plot – yeah. So the whole Yoda on Kashyyyk thing is not really part of the main story, but it's just purely delightful. 
So much of this, so much of the upcoming second half of Revenge of the Sith is putting people where they need to be for A New Hope. Mm. Putting putting those threads into place. Because that's the whole purpose of this movie is to set up the Empire. Okay. And to set up the fall of Anakin into Vader. And we are almost there. You know, we are so close. But wow. we chose this spot on a whim. So It's a good spot to close. Yeah. So there's a really important thread in this that I think makes this movie deserve a really close watch. And it made me really grateful for our close watch, having watched The Clone Wars and also having gone back and watched the earlier movies, Mm -hmm. which is the interactions between Palpatine and Anakin. Oh, my God. Yes. Let's talk about it. So Anakin is... There's so much that he has obviously told Palpatine off screen. Palpatine is aware that Anakin lost his temper and killed all those Tuscans. Palpatine is aware that Anakin has a wife who is pregnant. Palpatine is aware of all of this. And I don't know if like, you definitely know that the Tuscans are because Anakin told him. Mm-hmm. So they have this extremely close relationship. And then Anakin pigheadedly, bullheadedly doesn't recognize that that is a liability because he hasn't been looped in on the conversations about Darth Sidious because he's not a member of the council. Yeah, it's such a vicious circle, right? Anakin Mm -hmm. can't be trusted because he is being groomed by Palpatine. He's so close to Palpatine. Mm -hmm. And it's that lack of trust that Palpatine then plays off of. Yeah, He's creating the weakness that he then exploits. He is. And that is like... Gosh, it's so dark because it shows that Anakin is a good, wonderful Jedi. And that's one of the last conversations that Obi-Wan and Anakin have. Obi-Wan says, I'm very proud of you. You're a far stronger Jedi than I'll ever be. It's the best. And Anakin is taking that, but he also has something inside of him that is not fulfilled by that. In fact, the very next conversation we talked about previously, which is him saying to Padme, I want more. Mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't, but I want more. He wants more than to be a good Jedi. He wants to see the whole picture. He wants the power. And that is, in fact, exactly what Palpatine is offering him. Because Palpatine's in the tale of Darth Plagueis says, you're not going to learn these things from a Jedi. There is more to the Force than what the Jedi will teach you. What's so dark about Palpatine is that he so rarely outright lies. He basically never he lies. He basically never lies, right? And every time he tells Anakin, I foresee that you are going to be the greatest of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You're going to be more powerful than any Jedi ever before. Mm-hmm. He's not lying. And he's planting these twisted seeds in Anakin where if Anakin was more trusted by the Jedi Council, maybe they would have told him that he was the chosen one and given him some other kind of soil to plant seeds in, you know? Right. So that actually comes up as uh, Yoda is getting dropped off at the assembly yards to, oh, go yeah. to, to go to Kashyyyk. Mace and Obi-Wan and Yoda are talking about how Anakin is the chosen one. And there's a back and forth between Yoda and Mace where they're like, prophecies can sometimes be wrong. Mm-hmm. So maybe like we are keeping an eye on that situation, but there's just so much going on that they can't 
loop everyone in. Yeah, and so much of what the Jedi Council does is too little, too late. Even that beautiful interaction with Obi-Wan, where Obi-Wan is just like shooting love beams out of his eyes at Anakin and Mm -hmm. saying, I am so proud of you. Yeah, And it's just not quite enough love for Anakin in that moment. I think it's it's just not enough. Yeah, there's this darkness that Anakin has allowed, or I guess really from the get-go, Palpatine has been opening paths for Anakin. And those open paths are a choice that Anakin has to take instead of having a wider array of choices. Ooh, say more. So like Palpatine has been opening doors for Anakin, but they're specific doors. And Anakin is following them because they're a great deal. It's a great path. Mm. It's just at the end of it, you are now Palpatine's puppet. Ooh, oh, that's so dark. Yeah, and that's that's Palpatine's thing. He keeps setting people up for that exactly. In fact, and this goes back to the first duel with Dooku, the lines back and forth, Dooku says, I sense anger in you. If only you unleashed your true dark side power. If you mm-hmm. embraced it, you'd be powerful. And I wonder if Palpatine is like, Dooku, you need to sacrifice yourself in this battle or says you need to let Anakin like fall to the dark side and then we can kill him together. Oh, I believe that there is a novelization about that moment. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I can't remember if this is canon or not, Sidious tells Dooku, you need to hold back a little bit in this duel with Anakin Mm -hmm. so that we can weaken him and then I'll have you kill him or then I'll kill him. Yeah. So he tells Dooku to hold back. And I think that is why Dooku looks at Palpatine with such betrayal in his face. Yeah. He's like, we were going to take this Joker down together. And then Palpatine says, kill him. And Dooku, not having learned all of Palpatine's secrets, doesn't realize that he was, Dooku was a pawn to get Anakin. Yeah. And then when um, Sidious phones Grievous, he says, Grievous is like, Lord Sidious, and I didn't realize that they knew each other, but Grievous is like, hey, Sidious, Dooku's dead, so this war is not going great. And Sidious says, I have a new apprentice, one far younger and more powerful. Yeah, I certainly did not remember how Palpatine was orchestrating the entire duel. I certainly did not pick up on all of the manipulation of Anakin in the first watch, But obviously, it's just it's impossible not to see on this watch through. What I really liked about Anakin's experience in this movie, Mm -hmm. I think, is that he's given all of this contradictory advice by everybody. Yeah. And it's really clear now that this is a game of tug tug of war. Anakin's the rope. But it's fun to listen to all of this advice with my ears and then think about how Anakin is probably interpreting it. Like, Everyone's trying to pull him to their side or the other, right? Palpatine is telling him to embrace the dark side so he doesn't have to lose what he loves, which is Mm -hmm. Padme. All of the Jedi, especially Yoda, are telling him to let go, right? So we listen to that advice and we're like, oh, that's very metaphysical. That's very spiritual. It's so right. Mm -hmm. You have to let go of what you're afraid to lose. And then the way Anakin hears it is like, Yoda's trying to get me to deny what makes me human, Yep. which is that I love Mm -hmm. and I fear. And Anakin is living in fear because he doesn't know what the future is going to bring because he has all these responsibilities to Palpatine, to the Jedi, but he also is terrified of being a first-time dad. 
Yeah. Oh, my God. Padme has that great moment where she's like, Obi-Wan tells me you're under a lot of stress right now. And I'm like, he really is, girl. Mm -hmm. He's having a hard time. Check in on your secret husband. Yeah. Yeah. Poor secret husband. Which, you know, Padme actually does a really great job communicating in this movie. She really does. 10 out of 10. She doesn't have many lines, but she is. um, Don't shut me out. Let me help you. That is fantastic communication. Absolutely. She's she's wonderful. She just is not particularly present. And she's there's not a lot, there's a lot going Padme. on. That's, yeah, because she's like, sorry, I need to hang up my boots for like nine months or something. I know. <laughs> yeah. I think we will obviously see more about Anakin's duality in the next iteration of Growing Up Skywalker. Revenge of the Sith Part Two. But I think there was enough in this first half of the movie to make for a really rich discussion. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Well, we do get to shove in one Baywatch. Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? It's Baywatch! It's time for Baywatch! Sam, who's your bay? Palpatine. 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 Are you freaking kidding I'm me? Not. It's Palpatine. You put me on the spot. It's Palpatine. You're putting another tick on Palpatine's bay list? Okay. So look at this. Palpatine set up this whole war. He straight up is like coldly kills one of his good friends. In- Does Palpatine have friends? I presume Dooku and Palpatine were at one point friends. Palpatine has a toolkit full of tools and his little Dooku wrench rusted out. So he he watches Dooku die. He's ready to have Obi-Wan die. When Obi-Wan doesn't die, he makes a different move. He just like, he goes with the flow. He looks helpless this entire time, but he is... Gosh, the moment where he says to Anakin, I, I have it in my notes when they're leaving his chambers and he's and Anakin twigs onto the fact that, of course, Palpatine is the Sith Lord and Palpatine admits to it. He's like, yeah, I'm the Sith Lord. Take my knowledge. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And Anakin's like, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to take you to the council. And Palpatine's like, that's the right move. That's the thing you should do. You're screwed either way. No matter what, you are in my clutches. You could kill me right now. And lose your secret wife. And lose your secret wife. And your unborn child. And he is just like letting it all hang out all the time. Oh my God, I did not pick up on that. And like it took that scene for me to realize that Palpatine, like despite the fact he's running the whole war... He is precarious. He is balanced on the head of a pin because anything that goes wrong puts him in incredible danger. And the only thing that keeps him alive is a series of horrific blackmailings and revenge plots. Leverage over everybody. He has leverage over everyone. And it took a lifetime to put all that together. Gosh, I read that so differently. I read it as Palpatine standing on this little pinnacle, this razor's edge, but either side he falls off, he wins. Like he can't lose for winning. He's standing there and everyone wants to pull him down, but everyone's pulling equally. Ooh. He's like a tent pole. He's held up and everyone's, you know, by the fact that everyone is yanking on him, they're they're pulling him up. They're making him stronger. Oh, my God. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Palpatine is masterful. Mm-hmm. Palpatine is 
like a car crash you can't look away from. He's also, very importantly, a bad guy. And I recognize this, but I think this half of the movie just showcases Palpatine's power. Yeah, I'll forgive you on this one. He's actually so incredibly compelling. Who's your bae? And is it Obi-Wan? It's not. What? It's not. But I have to say, I discovered my favorite Obi-Wan line, and it's in this movie. Which is it? It's when they crash land on Coruscant, and Obi-Wan brushes his hair back with this huge grin and says, another happy landing. <laughs> I laughed like, so hard. There was snot coming out of my face. It's it's, it's so sarcastic, too. It's because so great. He's like, Anakin, can we land this thing? And Anakin's like, look, it's not really landing at this point. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, I disagree with the purpose of the question. And then they land. Another happy landing. Good job, Anakin. Anakin's like, listen here, you old man. It's so great. Especially because it's such a running joke that Anakin crashes everything. And Obi-Wan's just like, I'm used to it now. Another happy landing. It brings me utter delight. It's so good. (laughs) So it could have been Obi-Wan on that basis. My bay is actually R2-D2. Because you inflated his kill count. Because <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I loved the infiltration of Grievous's cruiser. Mm-hmm. It could not have happened without R2. R2 did everything everybody was asking him all the time. He murdered a Mace Windu amount of battle droids. Okay. My favorite scene of that, as the Jedi are going on the elevator, they're like, R2, control this elevator. Here's a communicator. They yeet a communicator to R2, and R2's like, cool, I'll hold this in one of my many tiny hands. <laughs> and then it comes in, and it's set on speakerphone. And it's talking super loud <laughs> as these B2 droids are like kicking at the Jedi ships. They're like, ah, these are Jedi starfighters. And they hear... R2, R2, come in. R2 takes the communicator. He's like shaking it around and he shoves it inside his body to mute it. And then he has to go over. He has to hack the elevator. And so he has to pull out the communicator and the droid's like, hey, what are you doing? And then he covers them in oil and lights them on fire because he's a sociopath. The physical (laughs) comedy of that scene is chef's kiss. It's so good. Mm-hmm. The elevator thing is fantastic. The elevator is never where they need it to be. R2 is trying so hard. There's another funny scene right before that. So they're in their starfighters and they're flying across. And R4 is like, hey, we need to do evasive maneuvers because otherwise <laughs> we're going to die. And Obi-Wan's like, all right, R4, nothing too fancy. <laughs> Anakin is like, R2, cut the thrusters, put, put all the evaporators <laughs> yeah. in. But we'll put it into a flat spin and get out of here. And R2's like, wee! Oh my god, it's so great. Just when he when R2's like holding off the buzz droid and they're like, kill it, kill it. R2 aim for the center eye. (laughs) It's so great. It's totally R2. Nothing brought me more joy. That's unfortunately we don't see him uh for like the next 40 minutes of this half of the movie. But But if this was R2's only moment to shine in Revenge of the Sith, shine he did. Mm -hmm. Shine bright like a diamond, R2. Does really show off the uh, <laughs> go fast and break things attitude of chilling with Anakin Skywalker. I love them so much. <laughs> they are my bays. <laughs> So that wraps us up for the first half of Revenge of the Sith. Join us next week for the second half, where we truly revenge the Sith. After this, we are watching The Siege of Mandalore Part 2. We're finishing The Clone Wars. 
We will have a special guest. Mm -hmm. Details to be announced at a later date. Yep. And then we have kind of a special surprise after we finish the Clone Wars, do we not, Sam? We do. Recently, Tales of the Jedi was released, and I have scoped them out, and they don't break our workflow at all. So. Sam has watched the tales. He has cried the tears. Oh, my God. I cried so much, you guys, in the first one. So we're going to watch several of them. And we'll do a few episodes and throw our schedule completely out of whack. And then we're going to watch The Bad Batch. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is important because the last time I watched the, and for, for listeners who've, who've watched all these, you'll know what I'm talking about. The second half of Revenge of the Sith, the second half of Siege of Mandalore, and the first episode of Bad Batch on the same week, I couldn't stop crying. Oh, so it's no. nice to have a little bit of a break. Yay! It's nice to watch R2 be an R2. <laughs> If you like Growing Up Skywalker, please feel free to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can also drop us a review. Five stars are always appreciated. Send us your thoughts. And if you want even more Skywalker, you can become one of our patrons. Monthly memberships start at $3 a month. And send this to someone who gets into trouble working elevators. So probably your grandma. Probably. I mean, maybe. Maybe it's kids these days. Maybe it's people who like haven't used an elevator since the pandemic. And they're like, I don't know how these work anymore. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.